Welcome to this week's edition of IFLR's Closing Conditions Podcast. I'm John Crabb, Managing Editor of IFLR and host of today's discussion. We head back to the US for this edition, where I'm joined by Hope Jarkowski of the New York Stock Exchange. Hope is Head of Equities for the NYSE, a role she took towards the end of last year after a time as the co-head of ICE's Government Affairs Division, and is responsible for five equity exchanges, the TRF, Global OTC, and NYSE bonds. Before joining ICE, Hope had spells at FINRA, the SEC, in private practice, and was senior counsel to the US Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Welcome, Hope, and thank you so much for joining me today. It's really great for you to take the time to speak to us. John, I'm happy to do it. Thanks so much for having me. So why don't you start by telling us about the, the role you're in now, and so how did you get to be head of equities at New York Stock Exchange? Sure. Well, I am a securities lawyer by training and have spent my entire professional career working on regulatory policy and legal matters. Um, and I've done that in private practice. I've done that in the government, both at the SEC and on Capitol Hill. And I have been at ICE, our parent company for the NYC, for approximately five and a half years. And over that period of time, it became increasingly clear that every business strategy decision that we make at the exchange has some relevant regulatory touch point. And with all of the regulatory pressures that we're under at the SEC and throughout the Washington DC landscape, um, I transitioned into this role at the end of 2020 and have been mapping out a strategy for the equities business as we move into 2021. There have obviously been, it's been an extraordinary year, both with respect to the capital markets, as well as many market structure questions that I know we're going to tackle later on re related to retail engagement and market structure dynamics. So all of that has put me in the middle of an extraordinary team at an extraordinary time. And I think it's going to be quite an exciting rest of the year and movement into 2022. It really is. So from your time at FINRA and at the SEC before that, um, uh, so before you transitioned to be head of equities, you were involved in regulatory and policy portfolio for ICE. So given that you've watched the U.S. regulatory landscape evolve over time, what do you make of the current state of play of the U.S. public markets now and how it's... That's a great question. The markets have taken dramatic twists and turns over time. Uh, the U.S. equity markets continue to be the deepest and most liquid in the world. That, that said, despite record-crushing IPO markets this year, there continues to be a strong incentive for companies to remain private. Some of that relates to regulation that was crafted with completely different intentions. For example, the Jobs Act, which was a piece of legislation in 2010 designed to incentivize companies to come public earlier by making the pathway to the public markets easier. In fact, some parts of that legislation and regulatory regime that unfolded out of it at the SEC has incentivized companies to stay private longer because it allows them to um, some exceptions to the public reporting regime. So there's been an interesting evolution that has been driven largely by regulation in the capital market space. And of course, in addition to the Jobs Act, you of course have Sarbanes-Oxley and many of the disclosure provisions that came out of the Dodd-Frank Act that have put uh, additional 
pressures perhaps on companies looking to come to the public markets and what that might mean for them as a public company as opposed to staying in the private space. You also have a very dramatic regulatory shift on the trading side of the equity markets, starting with Reg NMS, which was adopted in 2005, which has led to a proliferation of trading venues, both lit, transparent exchanges, as well as many, many off-exchange venues. So the competitive dynamics in the trading side of the equity markets are um, extraordinary. And the events of 2021 and many things that I believe firmly are going to be coming out of the SEC with respect to the equity market structure are going to be unlike anything that we've seen certainly in the last five years and potentially since regulation NMS was adopted. So you just mentioned the the Jobs Act, which, as you said, was designed to kickstart the equities market. Do you think it's really had that desired impact so far or is is there kind of... I think it depends on your perspective. Um, There have been strong critics of the Jobs Act and some of its provisions that many would argue have allowed more exceptions to companies to remain private. And importantly, some would argue that the JOBS Act counterintuitively has created some investor protection concerns. That's one side of the argument. The other side, of course, is that companies that never thought that they would have any kind of pathway to the public market have found themselves with a special status as an emerging growth company and have that has afforded them the opportunity to dip a toe, if you will, into the public markets and, and take their time and learn along the way and, uh, and develop the discipline that is required to be a public company. So I think that there's two very valid sides to the argument. Um, that said, again, notwithstanding the record-crushing environment of 2020 and 2021 for the capital markets, companies are coming to market um, when they're much larger. They're taking a much larger, uh, longer time to come to the market. And private money continues to be at extraordinary levels. So I think that it's not one piece of legislation or regulatory construct that has Uh, created the dynamics that we've seen over the last, say, 10 years, but it certainly has something to do with it. So looking at this year specifically, obviously 2021 has seen record IPO numbers. Are these the same reasons that kind of the last 10 years of success has led to the numbers this year, or do you think they've been kind of different? Yeah, I think that there are going to be lots of retrospective analysis about how the this dynamic has developed during a global pandemic. The U.S. capital markets have proved invaluable to companies during COVID-19. At the onset, the markets helped many companies meet a very urgent need for capital during what was a nearly catastrophic global economic slowdown. And since then, Since the beginning of the pandemic, the IPO market has been incredibly active as companies look to tap into this value that can be created by raising money in the public space. For just to put a finer point on it, um, in 2021 alone already, we've helped companies raise over $90 billion in IPO proceeds this year. That eclipses the full 2020 record 
of 82 billion. And we're not even into the, we're in the back half of the year, but we're, you know, we, we still have some time to go. We welcome the largest U.S. IPO of the year in March of 2021, Kupang. Um, we have a strong pipeline for the months ahead. So I think that there's going to be a lot of analysis as to what dynamics have led to this uh, appetite to come to the public markets in the middle of COVID-19. Um, so I look forward to reading those studies, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of opinions. I'm just giving you mine <laughs> based on the window I have into into it today. Into it today. It, it seems like a pretty good window to me. Um, we have to, of course, talk about about SPACs and and direct listings, which have seen kind of huge growth recently as well as traditional. Obviously, this has been talked about at length by everyone, but what steps has kind of NYSE taken to, to boost the trend? And do you expect the market to keep evolving in this manner? Or do you think the, it's... I certainly hope it's not the end of innovation. You know, we, we for quite some time have focused at the NYSC on the pathways to the public markets, providing opportunities for investors um, to access the markets and issuers to come to market in different ways than the traditional IPO. The IPO is certainly not going away, but for a number of years, we've pioneered evolution in this space. The first iteration of that was with respect to the direct listing, um, which has not become necessarily a trend, but there have been a number of really impactful direct listings, and we see more and more companies seeking to utilize that structure to come to market. We've also... um, pioneered in the area of SPACs, and we view the SPAC market as reflecting really um, how investors are looking to have greater choice with how they come to market and how investors are able to enjoy what is essentially a a more investable universe. Um, And when you think about what, what I mean by that is the SPAC and the direct listing is a way of democratizing access to investors in a way that is not traditionally thought of for an IPO. An investor no longer has to, if you kind of conceptualize an elevator and you have the large institutional investors, the private funds, um, other, you know, frankly, in some contexts, foreign sovereign wealth funds that are able to start investing in a young company early in its development. And those investors can ride that elevator from the first floor all the way to the top. Whereas, and when the company reaches the 10th floor and they decide to access the public markets, that is when investors that are not the privileged few are able to access that company and and, and enjoy its growth. The direct listing in particular allows investors to get on at the first floor and enjoy all of the growth from the first floor to the 10th floor. They don't have to get on when the company has already reached, uh, you know, in some cases, the near peak of its growth trajectory. So the direct listing in particular is has been an extraordinary um, NYSE-driven area of growth for the market. SPACs also reflect an important evolution in how companies can access the capital markets. And there's a lot to be considered with SPACs. Our guiding principle has 
always been to balance investor access and investor protections. And with so many SPACs in the market today, it means that some great companies will soon become investable opportunities. It's impossible, however, that every business combination is going to be great. So investors should continue to do their homework and understand all the risks that are involved with buying into these SPAC deals. It's also very clear that the SEC is focused on this area. This year, they've put out guidance from the Office of the Accounting uh, Chief Accountant and the Division of Corporate Finance staff guidance that provides a framework for how SPAC business combinations should be thought of. The SEC's Investor Advisory Committee is doing work in this space to think through what additional disclosures ought to be considered, if any, for SPAC deals. And um, I think that there's certainly more to come. If you look at the regulatory agenda that Chairman Gensler has published, there's going to be more in this area. And so I think the market is a bit in a wait and see. But there's definitely more to come. But there's definitely more to come. Do you think there's been kind of lots of pretty negative press too with kind of a rise in litigation and and lots of people kind of discussing the, the SPAC bubble and suggesting it might burst at some point? Do you, do you have kind of apprehensions and are there kind of plans in place? You know, we all read the same press. Um, you know, we are focused on providing access to the markets in a way that complies with the law and gives investors the choice that um, that they ought to have within, of course, the regulatory construct. So we are, too, in a wait-and-see posture, as is the rest of the market with respect to what the SEC is going to do in this area. area. Um, so obviously, kind of in, in line with this, there's the, the recent rise of of retail traders like Robinhood with zero um, commission trading has shifted the market considerably or the retail market considerably. Um, it's been met with its fair share of criticism with things like the gamification or meme stocks making unwanted headlines for Robinhood and the other brokers. Um, so how, how does this rise highlight the differences between on and off exchange trading? and? It's interesting because we were just discussing democratization of the markets and we see that in the capital market space with SPACs and direct listings. We also see it with respect to um, what has happened over the pandemic, which is an accelerated trend of individual investors p participating in our capital markets. Um, that represents a real democratization of trading. And as a general matter, that's a good thing that 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 investors are have the confidence in the market to participate. I think the baseline is that that that, that is a good thing. At the same time, um, there is risk associated with the markets. And it's critical that and individual investors are well-informed about the assumption of the risk that they're taking. And so I, I think that there's a lot that's going to unfold coming out of the meme mania that started in January. And I would say it, it's not, I wouldn't put the term, perhaps wouldn't use the term mania, but it has proven to be a very durable trend. 
that retail investors continue to have interest in trading uh, more than they ever have in recent past. The SEC recently requested comment on broker-dealer and investment advisor digital engagement practices, or DEPs is the fancy acronym. Uh, this is going to include exp exploration of gamification, what that looks like uh, for some of these platforms that you've mentioned is an open question. Um, gamification or the use of digital engagement practices is not necessarily new, but the level of engagement that has been you know, brought to people's attention over 2021, I think is very notable. We'll also all waiting with bated breath here in Washington of the forthcoming study from the SEC related to GameStop. That's a study that, at the time, Acting Chairman Lee stated that the SEC was going to be undertaking. It's well known that the staffs are spending, um, you know, a lot of time formulating likely a set of questions, uh, as well as some preliminary and perhaps even some final findings. My expectation is that that study that is forthcoming will become a blueprint of sorts of what the SEC is going to do in this area. And I, I would expect it to come out pretty soon. The Chairman Gensler has said that it would be late summer and uh, today is September 1st. So I think that we should expect it in the pretty near future. Pretty near future. Another thing that Gensler said just within the last few days is that the SEC was considering a ban on the payment flow, order flow in the U.S. What, what do you make of Again, it remains to be seen precisely what his evaluation of um, payment for order flow is going to look like. I think a lot of that is going to be included in the study that is forthcoming and we'll have a maybe we should reconvene after that study is out and we could have a chat about it. Um, I think at a high level, under today's regulatory framework, um, my concern is that their proportion of trading on public exchanges is at an all-time low. In fact, at the end of last year, on some days, more shares were executed in private dark venues than on lit public exchanges, where there is displayed price discovery. Um, and what that means in the broader dynamics that we've seen in 2021 is that exchanges like the NYSE and others have a limited ability to compete for much of the retail volume that is executed in the market. Some of that is due to the difference in service models between broker-dealers and exchanges. Um, for example, off-exchange venues have the ability to negotiate bespoke pricing. Pricing at public exchanges is publicly filed with the SEC. Um, so that in and of itself is a, a pretty dramatic distinction. We're also on a different competitive playing field in a more straightforward way, which is that off-exchange venues are permitted to um, trade in price increments less than a penny, whereas exchanges are limited to price increments of a penny. This concept of what to do about that is referred to as tick harmonization, which essentially means that exchanges and off-exchange venues should be permitted to um, trade at price increments that are the same. That would be one mechanism for leveling the playing field and allowing public investors 
or investors in the public markets who want to trade on exchange to have the same regulatory convention. That's something that Chairman Gensler has referenced in some of his public statements, but it's another opportunity for review, uh, depending on what comes out in the study that we expect to see in the near future. We expect to see in the near future. Sounds like it's going to be an interesting few weeks. So just to go back to, to towards the start, you mentioned clearly it's been an, an interesting year for the New York Stock Exchange with COVID forcing the, the trading floor to shut for the first time. So many com- companies listed on, on the exchange struggling to survive. So what has the exchange done to, to help maintain a healthy environment for We certainly had to adapt to a new normal in 2020 without question. Um, And we're still not fully out of that um, by any means. We are fortunately have been able to gradually scale back up and welcome back media and a guest and our guests safely to the trading floor. The NYSE plays a central role in the capital markets and for many years, we have made significant investments in our trading platform technology, our pillar system technology, our regulatory surveillance systems. And that investment means that we are prepared for market swings at any time. And those investments have certainly been put to the test over the last year. Um, To put a finer point on it, we had the volatility at the start of COVID-19 in March 2020, But it really peaked again in March 2021, when on a single day on March 4th, 2021, NYSE Group processed more than 350 billion order and market data messages. Notwithstanding that time of stress, uh, you know, market participants were able to depend on our infrastructure, depend on our technology, depend on our volatility controls. So at a high level, the markets, both at NYSE Group, but in the broader equity market space, the markets worked. And that create, when the markets work, investors have confidence in investing in the markets. And that is inherently a good thing. So we've learned a lot about how to operate in a pandemic over the last 18 months. And, um, you know, those are going to be lessons that will be put to the test time and again in the future. But we're really fortunate to have the place that we have in the markets and, you know, I think, frankly, the place that we have in history over the last 18 months of the pandemic. Sure. So, so talking about your, your place in, in history and your place in the market, since the long-term stock exchange opened a few years ago and, and with others kind of sprouting up around the country, there's as many as 16 stock exchanges in the U.S. alone. So the market's clearly fragmented. Do you see that as a, a positive or negative, and what are the implications for the U.S. equities market? It's a great question. Um, you know, going back to what drove that initial move move towards a more fragmented space, we, we really have to go back to Reagan MS and the adoption in 2005, the final rule, and that has led to a proliferation of exchanges in the marketplace, which inherently brings more competition. It is also, it means that um, it's created additional costs for market participants with respect to the fixed costs associated with engaging with exchange platforms. And so that in turn has 
incentivize broker dealers to go out and create their own platforms for trading that compete directly with exchanges, but are regulated in a very different way. Over the last several years, in, front, in fact, the last near two decades, NYC Group has acquired several existing exchanges. The goal of that has really been to streamline operations under one roof, um, to streamline the technology and the interface that clients have when they're coming to NYC Group. So in a way, it's consolidating rather than fragmenting the market. You just mentioned the long-term stock exchange. There are other new entrants into the exchange space over the last year, each, I believe, seeking to fill a particular investor demand, whatever that may be. On the whole, the diversity in the exchange space makes for an incredibly competitive environment that ultimately translates into a better result for issuers and investors. I think there's an open question about what is the point of equilibrium at which there are, there are more diminishing returns given the number of exchanges and the number of off-exchange venues that are in the market today. And those are questions for Chairman Gensler to tackle. And we look forward to seeing how he's going to do that this year. Um, thank you so much for your, your time today, Hope. Just like to, to give you the opportunity to, to raise any, anything else. If you have any other points you'd like to listeners to hear. John, I really appreciate um, your interest in speaking with me and, and hearing about the priorities of the NYC group. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Of course. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you all for listening. Have a great day.